Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now, your host, Bela Sebraff on The Definitive Rap. Welcome to The Definitive Rap, and I am Bela Sebrow. We thank Vin News for hosting our show. Attaining freedom sometimes, unfortunately, comes with paying a bloody price, and that means war. Today, we will go on a journalistic journey to understanding the Israel-Arab conflict through a brilliantly written book titled The Bloody Price of Freedom, Israel's Battle for Justice, Freedom, and Commitment to Democratic Values, written by Richard D. Heidemann. We will hear documentation about how the Palestinian leadership mishandled and sabotaged many opportunities and a deep analysis of how international law has has been misused by the United Nations for political purposes. We will also hear about the link between terrorism and anti-Semitism, and how he exposes the diplomatic boycott and terror warfare against Israel and the global Jewish community. Richard Heidemann was born in Detroit, Michigan, and is a graduate of the University of Michigan, and the National Law Center of the George Washington University in Washington, D.C. He completed the American University Law and Policy Institute abroad at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. Uh, He's licensed to practice law in the District of Columbia, Maryland, Kentucky, Indiana, and Wyoming, and he has been admitted to practice in numerous federal courts, including the United States District Courts for the District of Columbia, Uh, the District of Maryland, the Northern and Southern Districts of Indiana, the Eastern and Western Districts of Kentucky, and Western District of Wisconsin, and the United States District Court for the District of Wyoming. In addition, he has been admitted before the United States Courts of Appeals for the 4th, 6th, 7th Federal and D.C. Circuits, the United States Court of Appeals for the Armed Forces, the United States Court of International Trade, the United States Court of Federal Claims, as well as the Supreme Court of the United States of America. The law firm of Heidemann, Newman, and Kalik PC is based in Washington, D.C., and serves as counsel in challenging U.S. and international matters, including corporate development, nonprofit foundation, government relation matters, and as lead counsel in complex civil, corporate, and criminal defense litigation cases in federal and state courts in various jurisdictions throughout the United States. The firm serves serves as lead counsel representing American victims of terrorism and claims brought or pending against Libya, Syria, the Islamic Republic of Iran, the PLO, and other organizations of financial institutions accused of providing material support for terrorism. In the past few years, the firm has been awarded judgments against the Islamic Republic of Iran in the amount of $1.27 million dollars and $813 million against the Syrian Arab Republic in the amounts of $601 million, uh, $51 million, and most recently was awarded a landmark judgment of $3.4 million. The firm has represented numerous victims of terror before the U.S. Foreign Claims Settlement Commission and is counseled to American victims of terrorism against the Arab Bank, PLC, pending in the Eastern District of New York. 
Mr. Heidemann received the Distinguished Alumnus Award from George Washington University, and he and his firm have been named the 2016 Trial Lawyer of the Year by the Public Justice for their work on behalf of the American victims of the Second Intifada for their case against Arab Bank. He was recently selected for the 2021 Super Lawyers List by Reuters. He is a noted public speaker and advocate who has appeared live on CNN's Burden of Proof, Fox Morning News, CNBC, I-24 News, and as legal analyst for WSA 9, the CBS TV affiliate in Washington. The firm has served as lead counsel in litigating and settling pharmaceutical, medical, and consumer protection and product liability claims. Counselor. Welcome to the Definitive Wrap. You have no idea how honored I am to have you as our guest today. Thank you very much. I'm honored to be here. You have done so much for justice throughout your illustrious career. This book, um, The Bloody Price of Freedom, is a tremendous accomplishment to add to your impressive achievements. Let's start with the uh, Durban Conference to Combat Racism and how, in essence, it promoted racism. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate the invitation to be with you today. And uh, let's focus on Durban because it's uh, approximately 20 years since Durban. But to understand Durban, we really have to step back um, some years before that. Because uh, Israel became a nation in 1948 and then was accepted as a full member state of the United Nations. Uh, That means she shouldn't be discriminated against. She shouldn't be singled out any more than any other state, but she should be held accountable like every state. Uh, Every state is responsible for complying with uh, such concepts as um, standing against genocide, uh, standing for human rights, standing for the dignity of all people. And uh, we, the Jewish people, believe that Israel has done that, does that, and will continue to do that. But those who oppose Israel have galvanized around a war of words against her. Now, I want to put in context, as I said, uh, years before the Durban conference, because At the United Nations, once Israel was accepted, one would presume that if there was a dispute with Israel, it would, uh, shall we say, be discussed among the family of nations. Instead, as you know, Israel suffered wars, um, the War of Independence, the uh, 56 War, the 67 War, the 73 War. I'll stop there for a moment. Because it was at the United Nations that as a result of the Arab League countries, and the Arab League initially was formed in approximately 1944, at the end of World War II, at the end of the Shoah. And some of us believe that what we experienced with Nazi Germany then took on a new life through the Arab League because the Arab League decided to boycott Israel. The Arab League decided to attack Israel, and the Arab League decided to castigate Israel among the family of nations. When Israel won each of those wars, there was a real turn at the United Nations to utilize the United Nations to demonize Israel. 
And so there was adopted the Zionism equals racism resolution at the United Nations. Now, what's one of the worst things you can call somebody? A racist. So classifying Israel as a racist nation and calling Zionism and racism to be an equation put Israel in a status where the United Nations was enforcing the concept of Zionism racism. At the Nairobi conference in 1985, that conference to assess and appraise the status of women was all about Israel as a racist country. And that predates what we faced in Durban when we went there just before 9-11. Counselor, what's fascinating is that you talk about, uh, in your book, about two uh, BDS movements, the economic BDS and the BDS of public opinion. Please tell us about that. The context is that Durban conference. Because at the Durban conference, which was called as a UN conference against racism, we showed up and found the worst racist approach toward Israel, Zionists, and the Jewish people. More than that, the Durban Declaration and program, P-R-O-G-R-A-M-M-E, an official United Nations adopted Durban program, had built into it by the Arab League and by the opponents of Israel, various concepts, various mandates, various action items. And those action items there in 2001, in the middle of the raging Second Intifada, which began the previous year, what baked into the Durban program was that Israel should be held accountable for being a racist state for being an apartheid state. And part of that dealt with holding Israel up, not only for demonization, but to begin to turn an academic boycott against Israel, to enhance the economic boycott against Israel, to enhance a diplomatic boycott against Israel. So the BDS campaign, BDS standing for boycott, divestment and sanctions. That campaign was truly born in Durban. And the sponsors of that campaign and the sponsors of the hatred against Israel at the United Nations and around the world was not just the Arab League. It was the designated foreign terrorist organizations that make up those organizations that are part of the PLO, the Palestine Liberation Organization, and that are fully sanctioned and cooperated with by the PA, the Palestinian Authority, which is the quasi-governmental entity that oversees uh, the Palestinian uh, Arabs in the West Bank, in those areas that are under the PA, shall we say, jurisdiction. At the Durban conference, everybody was pushing against Israel to hold Israel accountable and to teach the lessons of Israel as if Israel were an apartheid racist criminal state. So the boycott and sanctions and divestment movement 
the whole campaign born in Durban began to flourish during the Second Intifada. And then when the Second Intifada ended in 2004, 2005, what we next found was the launching of what's called the Electronic Intifada. If you don't beat Israel on the battlefield and you don't beat Israel in the diplomatic warfare, and you don't beat Israel in economic warfare, then you turn to teaching people hate. And you do that through a boycott movement and campaign that was designed to go to the college campuses and get the young minds and turn them against Israel. And it has worked. And not only are young minds generally, young Muslim minds, young Christian minds, but young Jewish minds are being affected by this boycott movement. Just in the last days, we see the Middle East Studies Association voting to support the boycott campaign against Israel. And many countries have taken positions. Many organizations have taken positions. Many communities have taken positions to support the boycott when really that boycott hurts not just the people of Israel, it hurts the Palestinians, it hurts regional stability, it hurts peace, it hurts the opportunity for for wholesome education and livelihood for all people in the region. This movement, this BDS campaign cannot be underestimated because it is pernicious, it is hateful, It is based upon bigotry and intolerance. And there are some organizations that under the concept of intersectionality take the view, well, if you're downtrodden and I'm downtrodden, let's join together to fight back against the person or the group of people who have made us downtrodden. And who becomes the target? The Jews. And who becomes the target? the Zionists, and who becomes the target? The state of Israel. And this boycott campaign must be put down. It must be understood, and it has to be explained. And one of the reasons that we worked so hard in the research in the book is to give people tools to understand the history. You know, if you look all the way back before World War II, If you go back a hundred years, you can go back to the Nazi manifesto of 1920, 1920, a hundred plus and two years ago. And built into the Nazi manifesto was the concept that, that Jews aren't real citizens of Germany, that Jews must be castigated, that Jews must be boycotted. And In 1933, we saw the boycott launched, and we saw the Nuremberg Laws adopted by the government. And in 1938, we saw Kristallnacht, and the state did nothing. And then we saw more than 6 million people, Jews and others, uh, not just driven from their homes, but, but annihilated in an attempt at annihilating the entire Jewish people. That game plan of the Nazis picked up by the Arab League first became embodied in an economic boycott. 
And that economic boycott exists until today. And only a few countries have broken from the Arab League boycott. So the current BDS campaign followed the Arab League boycott. And people have to understand that. And fortunately, the Abraham Accords uh, of just uh, two years ago saw the first break since uh, Egypt and Jordan reached peace with Israel. And you now have additional countries uh, that have reached a peace agreement. And it's beginning not to just to be a cold peace, but a real peace, a warm peace, a real exchange, trade, diplomatic relations, uh, the, the leaders of the UAE, the leader, the king of Morocco, Bahrain, uh, uh, other countries, uh, some at different stages, but you can see this movement of countries that are Muslim countries saying we are prepared to forget the hatred and think about building a better future together. This book is about providing tools to those who really want to learn to understand the history of the hatred how that hatred has been used in the multi-pronged diplomatic, economic, academic warfare against Israel, the use of terror against Israel, the use of the abuse of international law by going to the International Court of Justice, getting an advisory opinion that says Israel is in violation of international law. An advisory opinion is not supposed to be uh, the force of law. It's not supposed to carry the force of law. It's an advisory opinion. Judges in the United States courts don't issue advisory opinions. But the International Court of Justice issued this advisory opinion at the request of the United Nations. And through the advisory opinion, Israel has been branded as being a violator of international law. And that gives rise to the accusation. If you listen to the, think about the various things I've just lumped together in these few minutes, what did we just see in the last few days? We saw the, the United Nations issuing a report that, that, that castigates Israel as an apartheid nation. Now, racism, criminal, apartheid, who wants to love a racist, criminal, apartheid state? It's all part of this plan, this conspiracy, they're de- they're being this demonized. organized attempt to paint the Jew, to paint the Zionists, to paint Israel and Israelis as violators rather than humanitarian protectors. The fact of the matter is, we know better. Much of the world knows better. But those who prefer to hate are loud. They are powerful. They are pernicious. They are penetrating. They are getting to the minds of the young people in order to have them step away from Israel. It's working. You can hear it from members of Congress like you never did in the history of the United States. You can hear it in various places. You can hear it on the news. You can read it in the press. And only a concerted effort to explain the sources of the demonization, the sources of the hatred, and to adopt a plan of action that is based upon zero tolerance. 
if we experience anti-Semitism and we experience anti-Zionism and anti-Israelism, if we experience this, we have to call it out. We can't be silent. And we can't watch anywhere in the world where hatred and terror and tyranny are used against innocent people. We have to stand up. We have to be counted. And we have to live by our basic Jewish tenets. We have to remember we are born uh, with certain beliefs. And these are beliefs that are embedded in all of us as Jewish people. We have to think about the lessons of the Torah, the lessons of our forefathers, and apply it in modern day. If we do so, we can overcome the haters, but it means working together in unity, standing up against those who have free reign to assault and to attempt to criminalize one of the most beautiful countries of the world, Israel and the Jewish people. Yes, thank you. Counselor, um, I remember this was a long time ago. Um, I had watched a documentary about a summer camp for Palestinian children and how they were trained to desensitize. One of the methods to master desensitizing was ripping live chickens apart. It was horrendous to watch. In your book, you talk about educating students to hate Israel in, in Palestinian textbooks. What's written in those textbooks? And, and, and who publishes and funds the publication of these textbooks? Like, what type of educational curriculum is established and functioning in Palestinian schools? You know, I had the privilege of serving as president of B'nai B'rith International um, some time ago. And in that capacity, I studied the issue of hate in Palestinian textbooks. And I couldn't believe what I was reading. And we obtained actual samples of it. We did a study uh, 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 through the B'nai World Center in Jerusalem, B'nai International, and B'nai Europe. We printed a pamphlet. And I took that pamphlet to a meeting with then Italian Prime Minister Berlusconi. And I said, Mr. Prime Minister, I brought you a short pamphlet. Uh, if you would... Take a look at it. I didn't intend for him to look at it then. If you would take a look at it, I would appreciate it. And then here's here's two copies for you. He actually sat there. He went through it. And he said to me, Mr. President, thank you for coming. Do you by chance have one of your people in your entourage here have in your briefcase an additional 13 copies? And I said, oh, Mr. Prime Minister, we actually do. He said, please give them to me. We then finished our meeting, and at the end of the meeting, he said, Mr. President, I want to thank you for coming, but I want to thank you for bringing me this booklet about hate in Palestinian textbooks. I want you to know that the European Union funds those textbooks, and I want you to know that I chair the European Union uh, um, next in the next session, and I want you to know that I am going to give to the head of state of every one of the heads of the each state of the then 15 members of the European Union, a copy of this pamphlet. And I'm going to ask them to read it the way you asked me to read it. And then I'm going to make a motion to suspend EU funding for Palestinian textbooks until the hate is taken out. And he did so. Now, that was back some time ago. Very recently, there was a whole movement within the European Union to again defund Palestinian textbooks until the 
new hate that is embedded there is taken out. I want to add one more thing because I think it's really relevant. If you look at what it goes on in Gaza, these kids are taught hate. Oh, yeah. UNRWA, UNRWA, which has schools, uses the curriculum of the country or the government where they are located. So the UNRWA schools in the West Bank use the curriculum, not of Israel. They use the curriculum of the Palestinians. And that curriculum is so full of hate that that is what the kids are taught. And in Gaza, they use the curriculum mandated by Hamas, the terror organization that calls for the total annihilation of all of Israel. So if we want to change the future together, we have to focus on the young people. What are they being taught? What is What are not only the teachers saying, what are the books saying? And we have to mandate that the books and the videos and the speeches and the presentations and the songs all be sanitized. All we deserve as a member of the family of nations is a fair deal like any other country. Give Israel and the Jewish people, give the Jewish nation a fair deal, and we will give returns to the world from the land of milk and honey. We will give it from our hearts. We will give it from our pocketbooks because we care about the dignity of every human being, including those children in Ukraine, including those children in Gaza and the West Bank and in other oppressed areas. Give us the opportunity to remember that, as my grandmother said the last time I saw her, Oliver Sholem, in the end of your days, all you take with you is your good name. Let's think about the good name of Israel and the Jewish people and ask all the Jewish people of the world, all of our Christian friends, all of our Muslim friends, all people of the world to join us in restoring and respecting and appreciating the good name of Israel and the Jewish people, because that's what we will take with us in the end of our days. Thank you for having me. Uh, A couple more, two more questions. Um, you know how much time we have. Um, how has the Palestinian leadership sabotaged and mishandled opportunities? Well, <laughs> um, Yasser Arafat is legendary and he's gone. And I don't like to talk about somebody who's gone. I prefer to talk for a moment about Mahmoud Abbas, his right-hand man and his successor. When Mahmoud Abbas wrote his dissertation. It was a denial of the Holocaust. He was in Moscow, and he wrote his dissertation on the fabrication of the Holocaust. He is the head of the PA, the Palestinian Authority. He is the head of the PLO, the Palestine Liberation Organization. And he is the head of the Fatah Party, which governs both as the majority party to the extent there's still majority over Hamas, the terror organization. He has totally refused to do anything except deny the Holocaust, demonize Israel, and wants his legacy to be that he stood against the Jews, 
not that he worked out a peace agreement with the Jews. He just can't bring himself to take off, shall we say, the kafiyah and be honored to wear clothes that are Western and to act Western. He prefers to demonize democracy, not just the democracy of Israel and the United States, to put down democracy within the Palestinian territories. He was elected something like 14 years ago to a four-year term and has seen to it that there has been no elections. There's always a reason not to have elections. So when Prime Minister Netanyahu, who is the last prime minister to sign an agreement with the Palestinians, he signed the the uh, Hebron Accords and the Y River Accords during his previous term in office. When he came in to office in what I'll call his second round, and he gave his speech, I think it was in 2009, the Bar Ilan speech, mm-hmm. laying out his vision for a two-state solution. Whether people agree with it or disagree with right. it, that's what the man said. He called for negotiations without precondition, and never could he get the Palestinian leadership to come to the table for negotiations without precondition. And President Obama couldn't make it ha- President Bush couldn't make it happen. President Obama couldn't make it happen. President Trump couldn't make it happen. President Biden hasn't been able yet to make it happen. It's not because the Israeli leadership won't sit at the table. It's because the Palestinians will not show up at the table. They keep putting out condition and a condition and condition and blame and blame and blame. And who are the victims here? Israel's not the victim. The victims are the Palestinian people who, wherever they live, deserve freedom. Wherever they live, deserve the right to to practice whatever religion they choose to practice or not practice at all, deserve the opportunity to work, deserve the opportunity to have a wholesome family, deserve the opportunity to have their children properly educated and clothed and fed. We look at what's going on in Ukraine today and and, and see what an invasion by war can cause in terms of destruction of life and community and, and, and of family and, and of, of children's futures. But we ignore what goes on in the Palestinian Authority. If you speak out against the Palestinian Authority, you get arrested. If you're a reporter that writes against the Palestinian Authority, you get arrested mm-hmm. or if you want to create an initiative you with the Jews, you can't do it. The Palestinian Authority wants all the Palestinian territory to be Judenrein, Judenrein, free of Jews. Right. That's what this action against the settlements are. It doesn't matter that they're in Judea and Samaria, that they're ancient ancestral Jewish lands. It doesn't matter at all. They have rewritten history and they refuse to come to the table with Israel. And that is the real biggest problem and why no further peace agreements have been negotiated. The Oslo Accords, the Y River Accords, the Hebron Accords, they envisioned final status negotiations, whatever they would be directly between the parties. 
and the efforts by the quartet, by the EU, by Russia, uh, uh, which has lost so much credibility, of course, and by the United States, the efforts to cause negotiations have all failed, notwithstanding that money has been thrown, incentives have been thrown, uh, accolades have been thrown, access has been created, gifts have been given, everything, but nothing has caused or permitted Mahmoud Abbas to forget his hatred of the Jewish people. And it's that hatred that drives him as a politician. He has is a leader with totally failed leadership for his people. And let's just pray that the next generation of Palestinian leadership will be willing to sit at the table, solve security problems, put down terror, put down hatred, and build a proper future for all peoples of the region. Thank you very much. We're out of time. God bless you for all you're doing. I encourage the audience to purchase The Bloody Price of Freedom, available on Amazon. This is essential reading to learn how to stand against the demonization of Israel and anti-Semitic attacks on Jews. Thank you so much, Counselor, for joining us today. Thank you to Vin News and to our audience for tuning in. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to The Definitive Wrap with your host, Bela Sebrow. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can catch The Definitive Wrap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Wrap.